0: So I had planned to talk about salvation, because that's a pretty good place to start. And, uh, and on the night after Christmas, December 26th, we put Veda down to sleep, and I was walking down our stairs to turn all of our lights off downstairs, and, um, and as, as I was on my way down, the Lord mentioned this phrase, and I'm going to share it with you, and I'm going to give away some of my message as I do this, but he mentioned this phrase, a lot of what people see as failure is actually comparison and um and so i was like that's random uh damon thompson says and i I love this but he says uh, here's how you typically know the voice of the lord it's your own voice saying something you would never say and uh and that's kind of a kind, kind of a like flipping you know way of saying it but a lot of times that's how it happens i don't know about you but i'll just be walking down the street or driving or whatever and then a thought will pop in my head and i'll be like that is the most random thing ever but man that's good That's the Lord. So um, definitely not me. So anyway, so I was walking down, and I just started thinking about this as the Lord was sharing this with me, about how a lot of us see failure as, you know, we've missed it, our life uh, choices haven't been what they should have been, I'm not living up to what everybody else is living up to, and we'll see ourselves as a failure. Not because we're not living in what the Lord has called us to do, but because we're not living in what other people are living in. And so, um, so anyway, so we are actually going to start today, if I could get this mic straight on, uh, talking about comparison. So here's what, here's how I want to start this. I started this two weeks ago with a, with a children's book and, uh, and I'm going to do that today. So I'm going to read this. I I mentioned this two weeks ago in that message, or actually I guess now it's been three weeks ago, uh, the week before Christmas, but I'm going to read this and then we're just going to, we're going to go in. So this is a book called On the Night You Were Born and, uh, and I think I've read it enough this morning to not cry, so we'll be good. But, um, but y'all just, just kind of focus in. I love children's books because it kind of brings us back to uh, the wonder of what it means to understand things. And so, anyway, let me read this. Uh, no copyright infringement. On the night you were born, the moon smiled with such wonder that the stars peeked in to see you, and the night wind whispered, life will never be the same. Because there had never been anyone like you ever in the world. So enchanted with you were the wind and the rain that they whispered the sound of your wonderful name. It sailed through the farmland high on the breeze, over the ocean, and through the trees. Until everyone heard it and everyone knew of the one and only ever you. Not once had there been such eyes, such a nose, such silly, wiggly, wonderful toes. When the polar bears heard it, they danced until dawn. From faraway places, the geese flew home. The moon stayed up until morning the next day, and none of the ladybugs flew away. So whenever you doubt ah, just how special you are, and you wonder who loves you how much and how far... Listen for geese honking high in the sky. They're singing a song to remember you by. Or notice the bears asleep at the zoo. They're always asleep at our zoo. It's because they've been dancing all night for you. Or drift off to sleep to the sound of the wind. Listen closely. It's whispering your name again. If the moon stays up until morning one day or a ladybug lands and decides to stay, or a little bird sits at your window a while, it's because they're all hoping to see you smile. then, for never before in story or rhyme, not even once upon a time, has the world ever known of you, my friend, and it never will not ever again. Heaven blew every trumpet and played every horn on the wonderful, marvelous night you were born. And uh, (laughs) we read that to... um, Beta, periodically, we used to read that to her every morning or every night. And uh, I remember reading that thinking, man, I never thought of myself as that. And, uh, but creation was standing on tiptoe. That's what Romans, Romans 8, we read this all the time, that creation is standing on tiptoe, yearning for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. That's you and us. That's you and me. And so as creation is peering into what the Lord is doing in you and I, they're not looking at us as simply air breathers, or just another human being. They're looking at us to see a picture of his image that only you uniquely bear. So when you were born into the earth, you weren't just born to be just another person. You were born into the earth to be a specific piece of God that no one else has ever before or ever will ever again fulfill in creation. So I'm going to start right here, and then uh, I'm going to read some stuff, and then we'll go to 1 Corinthians 12. Matthew 18.3 says, Learn this well, unless you dramatically change the way you think and become teachable and learn about heaven's kingdom realm with the wide-eyed wonder of a child, you will never be able to enter in. I knew through seeing others' parent children that having a child would teach me a lot about God. What I was not expecting was that having a child would teach me about me. Children are not worried about theological correctness. They're engaged in relational nearness. They don't worry about making a mess or cleaning it up, which they did sometimes. They know mom and dad will clean it up when it's needed. They don't worry about what to eat, or what to wear, or what to drink. Mom and dad clothe them and feed them when needed. They don't dwell in the past or worry for the future, but are enthralled with the wonderful now. They're ever-present. They don't compare themselves or their progress to others. They take what comes at them, this is children, with the same values, trust, and grand imagination. They're so quick to forgive and they do not hold grudges. They don't question God because of their experiences. They see their experiences through being fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Let me say it one more time. They do not question God because of their experiences. My daughter has never said, I hurt my leg, therefore there must not be a God. Never, right? When she hurts her leg, what does she say? Jesus will take care of it. She sees everything through the lens of, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, that's set in mind, that's in my DNA, so I'm going to see everything through the fact that Jesus is who he says he is, that God is who he says he is, and that I am who he says I am. Everything. I mean, So Jesus, when he says... Unless you learn about heaven's kingdom realm with the wide-eyed wonder of a child, you'll never be able to enter in. We can kind of see why he's saying this. Unless we can get to the place where we are quick to forgive, where we don't doubt every time we scrape our knee, and you can fill in the blank for whatever scrape your knee is. Whenever something bad happens to us, we don't sit around moping saying, well, there must not be a God. No, maybe just something bad happened to you, and maybe all things are working out for the good. We don't even see things through before we start questioning everything. This is what the disciples did. Jesus told them he would rise again, and yet when he died, they're moping around like it's over. What'd you, he told you this would happen, but we don't even see things through until we start doubting everything. Ch- children don't do that. Children hear from their parents, or let's say hear from the Lord, and they move by what they have heard until told otherwise. I mean, it's unbelievable, okay? So I I could go on, but the point is, I believe we have missed a huge part of the kingdom. It's not, and I'm going to step on some real shaky ground, so just hang with me. It's not, in my opinion, built on getting everything right and being a strong, theologically sound religious man or woman. I believe the kingdom is built on those who can get to the place where they trust, where they love, where they live in wonder, and have an imagination that says, if I am who he says I am, and he is Papa, the one that Jesus revealed him as, I can do anything. Just just one more thing, one more time. The kingdom's not built on getting everything right and being a strong, theologically sound religious man or woman. Though those are good things, and come over time by doing what the kingdom is built on, which is trust, love, wonder, and imagination that says, if I am who he says I am, and he is the papa that Jesus revealed him as, I can do anything. So as we walk through this season of foundation, this is the lens we're going to have to see everything through. Becoming as a child. Kingdom progress is determined by how willing we are to go back to the beginning. In the kingdom, progress isn't how far we can go. How far we can go in the kingdom is determined by how much we can submit to the process of getting back to the beginning. So the, the Bible starts with the garden and ends with the garden. Go read Revelation. It starts with the garden and ends with the garden. It starts and ends in the same place. How is that possible? They go through the whole narrative and end up walking in the, in the cool of the day. Amen. I this, so this is, this is how we're tracking right now. We're not tracking to progress into something. We're actually seeing what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, as in we're, we're recapturing things that those who have walked this path before maybe haven't captured yet because of the level of glory that we have found ourselves on, standing on the progress that they made. So we honor, we have, that's why honor is so huge, because we're accessing things in the kingdom right now because of what other people have accessed to get us to this level in 2021. So, as we walk through this season, we're going to have to see everything through the lens of what I just said, being a child. The first part of that foundation that Yahweh wants to address today is, and this is the title, I don't give titles a lot, but the poison of comparison. Comparison, Webster says, is a consideration or estimate of similarities and dissimilarities between two things or people. So just to restate what the Lord showed me last week, what most people call personal, relational, or occupational failure is actually a failure to live up to someone else's standard that you adopted through comparison. One more time. I know this is a lot. We've just been on break. Okay? What most people call personal, relational, or occupational that's what you do for your career. Failure is actually a failure, failure to live up to someone else's standard that you adopted through comparison. You could be fully succeeding in what Yahweh has for you and see yourself as a failure because your life doesn't look like their life. You you could be fully succeeding and right where the Lord wants you, but because your life doesn't look like the life of somebody you see on Facebook, all of a sudden you see yourself as a failure or behind or not living up when you're actually living up to the exact standard that you are supposed to live. It might not look like theirs, but you're not supposed to be them. You're supposed to be you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so are they. Okay? So this is why comparison is... I call this a poison. Because it is a potential death to the whole reason that you were created. Brennan Manning says this, In our faithful listening to God's word, we often neglect His first word to us, which is the gift of ourselves to ourselves. Our existence... Our temperament, our personal history, our uniqueness, our flaws and foibles, our identity, our very existence is one of the never to be repeated ways that God has chosen to express himself in space and time. Because we are made in God's image and likeness, you and I are yet another promise that He has made to the universe that He will continue to love it and care for it. Awesome stuff. Ruthless Trust. You need to go read that book this year. Oftentimes, comparison, this is where I'm going to get into some murky territory. You know, just chill with me. Oftentimes, comparison is masked as inspiration. Though inspiration in its rawest form is a good thing, those we are inspired by we usually are trying to mimic and be like because their life is what we want. Social media has robbed our most intimate views of God through people that instead of being who they really are, quirks and all, they deem themselves as illegitimate and remolded or remasked themselves as the typical American Facebook personality. For example, everyone has this dumb attraction to fame. Dumb attraction to fame. I had it too. And I honestly use the church to try to get it. Not this church. Okay? So everybody has this attraction to want to be famous. Why? Suicide rates, depression rates, drug rates, divorce rates, etc. are the highest in the rich and famous. By far. So why on earth would anyone want to be famous? Makes no sense. Right? If I ask you, would you like to be suicidal? Would you like to be depressed? Would you like to be on drugs? Would you like to be divorced? etc.? None of you in your right mind would say, oh yeah, that sounds great. And yet, everybody wants to be famous. And I'm not saying everybody who's famous is going to do that. But what I'm saying is, is that there is an attraction to something that typically does not end good. Why? Why is everyone still drawn to this? It's comparison. You see how this poisons us? You see a false picture of somebody else's life on social media, let's say, that you want more than the average life that you're living, so you start trying to be like them. Spoiler alert, that will 100% of the time end in failure. The only thing you can be is you. And y'all are quiet. I thought this would be kind of an easy, easy message today. If you see everyone around you, and this is, I'm just throw out some examples. Just to hit home. If you see everyone around you getting married, suddenly you have anxiety about needing to be married. Am I telling the truth? Right? Not because the Lord said anything, but because everybody else around you is getting married. Here's the other thing we do. Not everybody else around you is getting married. Three people are. and (laughs) Right? And then through comparison, we start saying, well, everybody's getting married. No, everybody in this room is single. Okay, most, not everybody. Okay, <laughs> suddenly you have this. In- if you see everyone around you making loads of money, you suddenly need to be making loads of money. Why? Not because the Lord called you, but because everybody else is doing that. Did anybody else have family members? And you have to raise your hand because they might be watching. Did anybody else have family members? that when you said, "Man, I really want to go to school to be a I don't know a, a, a artist or whatever," anybody else have family members? Say huh? You need to be a doctor. You need to be a lawyer. You need to be this. Why? Not because they're happy, but because they make a lot of money and because everybody else around them makes a lot of money and they want to be able to go to their friends and say, my daughter or my niece or my nephew makes this amount of money and has this kind of job. Do you see what we do, right? It's not because anybody actually wants to do that stuff. I mean, some people want to be doctors. It's not because people actually, it's because we see other people doing it and we think, man, we should do that. And so we're missing out on what Yahweh's actually called us to do because we're so busy living up to what everybody else is called to do. Do you see that? And so this is what the enemy does. The enemy will say, man, look at that person making a difference. You should do that. And it sounds inspirational. Yeah, I should do that. When really, you should not. You're called to be you. So if you're working at a coffee shop and you see all your friends getting these big wig jobs and you start looking looking at them saying, man, maybe I should be quitting this and trying to go do that. But the Lord's called you to be where you are. You're succeeding. I mean, this is stuff that me and Jordan talk about all the time because we see parents doing this, that and the other. And then we'll start looking at ourselves. Not because we're doing anything wrong, but we'll start looking at, man, maybe we should be doing that. Maybe, we're, maybe we haven't done enough of that. Not because we feel like that, but because we see other people doing that. And nine times out of ten, what you see on Facebook and what you see on Instagram and what you see on social media and out in the public is not reality. Promise you. So we don't judge happiness and success on us being right in the middle of Yahweh's unique plans for us. We judge it based on how much we're like somebody else. Pastors, I'm going to just speak for me, don't judge how thriving their church is based on doing the will of God and growing in intimacy with Jesus. They judge it by how their numbers look compared to the cool church down the street. So when somebody said, brother, how's your church doing? Great. We're doing awesome. How many people you got? Right? It's not man, how many people are, are just in love with the Lord? you know It's well, how many people y'all got? Oh, we got a handful oh, okay you'll be you'll be all right. now we're doing great. you know what I mean? what we're called to do, but because we don't live up to the standard that the church down the street's living up to. All of a sudden we're seen as a fact the, the Lord never called us to do that. The Lord called us to be us. The Lord called them to be them. I think a lot more pastors would be pastoring if their deacon boards didn't try to get them to live up to the standard of somebody else that they're not even called to be. They're burned out. Doing all this other crazy stuff trying to escape comparison because they can't be who they're called to be. That's what It's a poison. So we don't judge it based on happiness on us, we judge it on other people. We have been blind to the fact that almost all of us, and I say us, have built our lives on and made our plans through comparison, not the Word of God. For the body called His church to function at its capacity, we need you to be you and me to be me, not them. Most of you really have no idea, and I say you, I know, and a lot of people are watching this online, so don't take this offensive, but most of you have no idea who you are, really, because you spent so much time striving to be somebody else. So today, let Yahweh redeem His Word in you, in the uniquely wonderful you. Let me go to 1 Corinthians 12. Y'all, I'm going to start it uh, Verse 12, and then we'll read this. Paul stops in the middle of talking about spiritual gifts, and he starts talking about the body, and this is a very familiar text. Um, I was going to read John 21, where Peter gets this crazy, and I might even go back there at some point, maybe, but Peter gets this crazy encounter with Jesus where Jesus asked Peter, Do you love me? We skim over that and think, like, Oh, whatever. God is asking a man, Three times, do you love me? He wanted Peter's love so bad that he asked him three times, Do you love me? Oh, of course I love you. No, no, no. Do you love me? Well, yeah, of course I. No, 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 no. Do you love me? Right? I mean, so I almost went to that, and then Peter gets this crazy encounter, and then the first thing he does is, Well, what about him? You know, so we might hit that, but um, and as I was writing kind of some stuff through that, the Lord really stopped me and brought me to this. So um, we're going to stick with what the Lord wants, not me. And um, so let me start. First Corinthians twelve, verse twelve. I am unfortunately for some of y'all reading in the Passion translation, um, but just because I wanted to save some time explaining some things. So here we go. If you want it, it's on the Bible app. Uh, verse twelve. Just as the human body is one. Though it has many parts that together form one body, so too is Christ. For by one Spirit, we were all immersed and mingled into one single body. And no matter our status, whether we are Jews or non-Jews, oppressed or free, we are all privileged to drink deeply of the same Holy Spirit. I love that. In fact, verse 14, the human body is not one single part, but rather, many parts mingled into one. So, if the foot, see if some of this stuff starts sounding familiar, what we just talked about. So, if the foot were to say, since I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it's forgetting that it is still a vital part of the body. And if the ear were to say, since I'm not an eye, excuse me, yeah, if the ear were to say, since I'm not an eye, I'm really not a part of the body, it's forgetting that it is still an important part of the body. Think of it this way, if the whole body were just an eyeball, how could we hear sounds? If the whole body were just an ear, how could it smell different fragrances? But God has carefully designed each member, that's you and I, and placed it in the body to function as He desires. A diversity is required, for if the body consisted of one single part, there wouldn't be a body at all. So now we see that there are many different parts functioning, but one body. Verse 21. It would be wrong for the eye to say to the hand, I don't need you, and equally wrong for the head to say to the foot, I don't need you. Now listen to this right here. We're going to hang out here in a minute. In fact, the weaker our parts, the more vital and essential they are. The body parts we think are less honorable, we treat with greater respect. And the body parts that need to be covered in public, we treat with uh, propriety and clothe them. But some of our body parts don't require as much attention. Instead, God has mingled the body parts together, giving greater honor to the lesser members who lacked it. He has done this intentionally so that every member would look after the others with mutual concern, so that there will be no division in the body. Hello. In that way, whatever happens to one member happens to all. Listen to this. If one suffers, everyone suffers. If one is honored, everyone rejoices. Last verse. You are the body of the anointed one, and each of you is a unique and vital part of it unique and vital part of it. I want to read a story. I know I started out with a story, but I'm just in a story mood lately. I told you we won't get back to kid stuff, so um, this is not a kid story. But let me just read you the story. Uh, y'all, y'all just listen. It's real short. Just listen to this. Um, a water bearer in India had two large pots, Okay, each hung on opposite ends of a pole that he carried across his neck. "'One of the pots had a crack in it while the other was perfect. "'The latter always delivered a full portion of water "'at the end of the long walk from the stream to the master's house. "'The cracked pot arrived only half full. "'Every day for a full two years, "'the water bearer delivered only one and a half pots of water. "'The perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments.' because it fulfilled magnificently the purpose for which it had been made. But the poor cracked pot was ashamed of its imperfection, miserable that it was able to accomplish only half of what it had been made to do. Y'all with me? Almost done. After the second year of what it perceived to be a bitter failure... The unhappy pot spoke to the water bear one day by the stream. I am ashamed of myself, and I want to apologize to you, the pot said. Why? asked the bear. What are you ashamed of? I have been able for these past two years to deliver only half my load because this crack in my side causes water to leak out all the way back to my master's house. Listen, because of my flaws, you have to do all this work and you don't get the full value from your efforts. The pot said, the water bearer water bearer felt sorry for the old cracked pot, and in his compassion he said, as we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. Indeed, as they went up the hill, the cracked pot took notice of the beautiful wildflowers on the side of the path, bright in the sun's glow. And the sight cheered it up a bit. But at the end of the trail, it still felt bad that it had leaked out half its load. So again, it apologized to the bearer for its failure. The bearer said to the pot, Did you notice that there were flowers only on your side of the path, not on the other pot's side? That is because I have always known about your flaw, and I have taken advantage of it. I planted flower seeds on your side of the path, and every day as we walk back to the stream, you have watered them. For two years, I have been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Without Listen to this. Without you being just the way you are, he would not have this beauty to grace his house. It's a really, I guess, childish example. But the point is, is that that pot, and you can insert yourself wherever you need to, that pot had such a comparison mentality that he missed the fact that the master had seen his flaws and instead of throwing him out because of his flaws, utilized him, flaws included, to do what the perfect pot couldn't even do. So he's apologizing for not being the other pot when the master wants him exactly as he is, he's able to produce something, even with the flaws, out of this pot being exactly who he is, that he would never be able to produce if that pot got fixed to look exactly like the other. That's what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians. He's talking about the body looking at each member, the church looking at each member saying, I'm not them, therefore I'm a failure. Or they're not me, therefore they're a failure. And instead, looking at who we are designed to be, us ourselves, and living in the fact that we are a unique and a vital part of what Yahweh wants to do in the earth exactly as we are. Let me read this. He says, and I told you I was going to hang out here for a second. In verse 22, he says, In fact, the weaker our parts, the more vital and essential they are. Okay? The heart, the liver, the lungs, the kidneys, the brain even, etc., are all vital to human life. Would you agree? You can't live without a heart. Without them, you cannot live. Yet, they are totally unseen. You yeah, just hang with me for a second, okay? The most vital parts of our body to human life are unseen. We have a habit of celebrating the parts of the body that we see and rejecting as insignificant the parts we cannot see. But the parts that we don't see are on, that we do see are only living because of the ones that we don't see. So people see me preaching from all over the country online. What they don't see is the volunteers making sure our services are pulled off each week. And without what they do, which is unseen, no one would be able to see me doing what I do, which is seen. Do you see how this works? People show up at 830 in the morning. Noel, Tim, show up at 830 in the morning and clean this building to make sure COVID is nowhere to be found and just to be clean, Right? No one ever sees that. No one ever talks about it. I mean, some people say, man, this place is clean. But, no, but you know, it's completely unseen. However, that is a vital part of what we do. Kyle shows up every single Sunday an hour early just to make coffee. No one ever sees that, but everybody loves the coffee. Right? That is a vital part of what we do. If you were to cut off your arm, you could still live. If you were to rip out your heart, you could not live. And we celebrate the things we can see and we disregard the things we can't see. And when we do that, the things we can't see start trying to become the things that are seen because that's what gets celebrated. And when that happens, the body starts to die. Which I believe is a lot of the reason why the church is dying. Because we have people who are consistent in the secret place that they're living life, they're working an average job, they're doing an average life, they're being parents, they're being faithful, they're continuing to tithe, but they're never preaching a sermon on stage. And because we have taken that and said, that's nothing, we need people who can preach good. Because we've done that, the body has started to decay from the very parts that are vital to life, saying, I don't think I want to be this heart anymore I don't think I want to be this brain anymore so I as a pastor my natural tendency y'all know me is deep understanding of who God is and his kingdom that's who I am I cannot give a cool TED talk I can't you know what I mean if you don't know what a TED talk is it's okay I, I can't sit here and give you 30 minutes of an inspirational message I can't do that people would love for me to do that I can't do that all right so a lot of times people will beat me up and that's okay that's funny now, for not being that. Man, if you just preach 30-minute sermons and not talk about that and not talk about the rapture, people would show up to your church. You know, you know what I'm saying? I hear that all the time. But that's not who I am. And so people have never come back to this church because I'm not somebody other than Josh. And I'm not going to do that. Right? Dream is dream. Dream is not elevation. I mean, that's the first name that came to mind. You know what I mean? And they're great people. They, they need to do what they're called to do, and they're fulfilling a role in the kingdom that we are not because we're not called to be them. You know what I'm saying? And so the Lord has really gotten me to this place where a couple of things we're going to really go into this year is, is unity. I feel the Lord has really got me to the point where if I'm being honest, when we first started this church because of how off theology in different places was compared to what I thought it should be, I didn't want to unite with anybody. If I'm just being real, because I didn't want to, you know, unite with something that was dead. However, however, what the Lord has brought me back into is, is the way for the body as a whole to come back to life is for all the pieces to come back together. So maybe a hand isn't a heart, but if we're not careful, us as hearts will look at the hand and judge it for not being a heart. I'm guilty of that. And the Lord has convicted me of that, and we're going into a year where we're going to fight for unity. We're going to fight to bring the church back together. There doesn't need to be a thousand denominations. There needs to be one, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And the only way we get from a thousand to one is for one, which we're not a denomination, but for one church to go to another church and say, you know what? We might not agree 100% on everything, but what we do agree on is Jesus. You know what I'm saying? People don't like hearing that, but that's what we're going to do. People see, okay, so people see me preaching all over the place, but it's because of what is unseen that people can see what we do. The church starts losing its effectiveness, big C, when people are seen as or feel like they're insignificant and start trying to be other more significant, quote-unquote, parts. And we can only function with all parts being what and where they need to be. Okay, y'all with me? So now let's bring it back to kind of a more personal level. Verse 23, it says, The body parts we think are less honorable, we treat with greater respect. And the body parts we need, that need to be covered in public, we treat with propriety and clothe them. But some, some of our parts don't require as much attention. Instead, God has mingled them together, giving greater honor to the lesser who lacked it. He has done this intentionally so that every member would look after the others with mutual concern so that there will be no division in the body. If one suffers, everyone suffers. If one is honored, everybody rejoices, and everybody is unique and a vital part of that. We need to learn, I believe, to redefine what being average is. We need to learn to redefine what being average is. Today, if somebody said, man, what does it mean to be average? You would say, it means just work a normal job, have a middle income, you know, middle class income, live your life, have kids, you know, blah, 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 blah. That's not average, The definition of average is what most people are doing. Most people are not happy with that. So that's not average. I see that as very unique for somebody to be happy living a good life. That's unique. Nobody's striving for that. Everybody's striving for what we see up here. And y'all want to get real crazy. What people are doing up here is looking at people down here saying, man, I wish I had that. So we need to redefine what average is. Average is living by the standard of those around you or those you see. That's what everybody else is doing. Everybody's doing that. But no one is secure in just being themselves, living at the rate Yahweh has determined before one of your days, Psalm says, came to be. And this is where trust comes in. You and I have to live a life trusting that God has our days in his hands. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what's best for you and I. He has you and I on purpose. He has us in a purpose. And if he wanted you somewhere else, he'd put you somewhere else. I mean, we have this, um, I don't know, sickness, I guess you would say, in my generation, which is a lot of you in this room, that we always think the grass is greener on the other side. The grass is always greener over there. So people will, stay, we, people will not stay in a job longer than a year. They'll stay in a job. They'll be happy. They'll be excited. It'll be the best thing ever. And then all of a sudden, you'll start hating your coworkers. You'll start hating your boss. You'll start thinking that this isn't what you're supposed to be. And all of a sudden, you're moving to a different city. You're starting a different job. You're doing, and it all starts over again. And then you're happy. And then a year later, you're moving to a different city. You're starting a different job. You're dating somebody else. And that gets old. And then you start another job. It, it's just a cycle. Over and over and over and over. And it's because we never get content with where Yahweh has us and instead always think something's better on the other side. Because what really happens is is we get in those seasons and we're happy until we see somebody else doing something what we think is better. And as we start to see them living their best life, we look at our lives that doesn't look like theirs and say maybe I'm not living my best life and I need to do this. But it's all rooted back in this comparison thing, let me say it like this: Some of you think your relationship with Jesus stinks, and the only reason you think that is because it doesn't look like the person that you have a relationship with—friends, or girlfriend, or a husband, or wife, or fill in the blank—people that you see. You think your relationship with Je- you feel like you haven't heard from the Lord, not because you haven't heard from the Lord, but because you haven't heard from the Lord what they heard from the Lord. I mean, let, I mean, let's be real. Everybody in this room, because of who you are and because of who Yahweh is, is having a thriving relationship with Jesus. Well, Josh, you don't know my secret place. If you show up to the secret place, it's thriving. He never leaves you in a dry, barren place alone. And if he's with you, what does it say? To him, the darkness is as light as the day and there's no difference between the two. That's what it says, right? So if he's with you, you could be walking through the darkest time of your life and it be as bright as the day because he's with you, okay? So you might think, man, I really haven't done that. I'm really just going through. I'm really just walking through. No, you're not. You're just not looking like they look. Well, Josh, you don't know what I've been walking through. I don't. I don't. But maybe if we would get off of social media, if we would throw these in the garbage and open up your Bible... And let the Lord speak what He wants to speak to you. I promise you, it would change our perspective. But, but we, we, this, we we've got to start getting some because we're approaching Him as a child. Veda doesn't judge her relationship with me based on what Evie's relationship with her parents are like is like. Just do that. She judges her relationship with me and Jordan simply based off of her relationship with me and Jordan. That's it. We're approaching the kingdom as a child. So I judge my relationship with God with one thing in mind. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and he is infatuated with me. Two things. So if that's the case, if that's the case, I cannot fail. Right? So I'm not asking him, why haven't I heard anything? I'm saying, where could I go from here? It just totally shifts your perspective. And I'm not saying we don't even go through silence. I'm saying even in the moments when he's not speaking, if he's with you, it's as bright as the day he does speak. Yo, it's just redefining some of this stuff. Okay, so that's where trust comes in. You and I have to live a life trusting that God has our days in his hands. And if he wants us somewhere, he'll put us somewhere. The world and family says you should blank, 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 blank. But the only thing that matters is what he says you should do and be. The only thing. We have missed so many artists and we've missed so many pastors and we've missed so many creative people because that is not the thing to do in the world. That's not the big career to be in. And so we have lost so many creative, inspirational, artistic people because people talked them out of being that and instead needed to be what everybody else was. We've missed songwriters. We've missed all this stuff because it's not what everybody else is doing. I'm telling you to do what the Lord has told you to do. Unless, this is what he says. Matt, go ahead and come up. Where are you? Oh, yeah. Go ahead and come up here. That's what he says. Unless you become like a child. Unless you become like a child. When you were a kid, you were you. When you were a kid, you were authentically you. And I believe we need a move of the Spirit to get us back to what it means to be us again. Heaven blew every trumpet and played every horn on the wonderful, marvelous night we were born. As I was, I was thinking about this because you know, going into a new year, we, uh, man, I'm done early. What in the world? New year, new you, you know. Um, Lord. Um, I was I was thinking through some of this stuff, and um, as I was, I thought about how many times I had left Sundays, especially when we were in the theater, which none of y'all know. Was anybody in the theater? Ellington was, but he's not here today. Oh, Matt was. Yeah, Matt was, and Jordan, obviously. Um, but back when we were in the theater, and we were doing setup and Teardown every week, uh, which was fun, um... <laughs> We, uh, I got a lot of use of that phrase when I am weak, he is strong, you know, um, because I was weak almost every Sunday. But, uh, I was thinking back to those days, and I used to go home almost every Sunday and feel like a failure. And it wasn't because of what the Lord did, it wasn't because of, you know, the fact that we were actually failures, it was because I saw how many people showed up to our church. And how many people showed up to another church that started right about the same time as us and ours was not even comparable, honestly, if I'm being real. And um, and I questioned my calling. I questioned if we should even have a church, all that stuff. Not because of anything the Lord said, but because we didn't look like what everybody else looked like. And that was it, period. I saw people and when they had new people coming in the doors, they were staying. It was exciting. When we had new people coming in the doors, they were sprinting. I mean typically, you know what I'm saying? You mention tongues and watch how many people fly out the door, you know what I'm saying? But um or pro- prophecy, any of that stuff, you know? Like um I've been called, I've been called the, the devil more times than anything because I mentioned tongues. Um and apparently the devil is a brilliant tongue talker. Um anyway, I'm just playing. But But I uh I was thinking about this this week as the Lord was kind of bringing all this to my mind. And uh, thinking about how that compares to now, we're like, we could have five people in here, and I'm going home happy as a lark. And the difference is, is the Lord has settled me, not fully, I'm still on this stern, but he's settled me a lot more than I was in who I am. And so I don't worry about our giving anymore. I used to worry about giving all the time. And of course, it always used to be right on time and, and what we needed. But um, used to work in like we used to save up money. I mean, we, we save money still, but... Um, in my mind, my motivation for us saving gobs of money was so that when everybody left and people stopped giving, we could still pay the bills until I found another job. I mean, literally, like when we first started that, because like we had no one, I mean, Matt remembers, we literally had no one because we weren't doing inflatables. We weren't having Olaf preach, you know, and all that stuff. We were just like, and if that's your thing, I'm not knocking anything. Um, We just didn't feel like it was appropriate sometimes, but Um, You know, it didn't have Santa Claus giving the Christmas message, Um, but we we were just staying faithful, and we were seeing the Lord do things, and we were seeing people healed, and you know, come to the Lord, and rediscover what it means to be a born-again Christian, and you know, all this other cool stuff, Um, but because I lived in a comparison mentality, it crippled me a lot of times crippled me with fear of man, with feeling like I wasn't living up because I wasn't living up to another standard. And, um, and so I've lived through this stuff and I think it's really fitting. You know, when the Lord first mentioned this to me, I was like, man, that's the odd thing to start foundational stuff on is comparison. I mean, um, but I, as I walked through this, I realized that, that we need to solidify our identity in ourselves. We, all we've talked about from day one is identity identity every single week, every single week, whether it be his identity or our identity, every week. And I think before we go into what is salvation, why is there evil in the world, et cetera, we need to understand that we are who we are. That's it. You're okay. If you're not married yet, it's okay. It's okay. You don't need to be married. If God wanted you to be married right now, you'd be married right now. You know what I'm saying? You don't have the dream job that you've always wanted, it's okay. It's all right. You don't have control. He does. You don't have the income that you want. Maybe your family members haven't been healed of what they need to be healed of yet. I mean, you fill in the blank. But when we get to that place where we can just stop, we can breathe deep and just know that he's good. And then all things work together for the good of those who love him. We can finally start to embrace who we really are. And when we start to embrace who we really are, all these idols that we have built up will just start to crumble. Um, he, he wants who you are. I, so I love my wife because she is who she is. If she tried to be any other woman or any other female, all of a sudden I would start looking at her. I would still love her, but like it, it wouldn't be Jordan. You know what I mean? I love her because of who she is, quirks and all. Sliced her hand open last week. Still love her now. Um, <laughs> with a knife. <laughs> if, you see, if you see her with her fingers like this, it's because she sliced her hand open. <laughs> but she's good now. But, um, but you know what I mean? But I love her. That's how the Lord loves us. He wants us as he designed us to be. He doesn't want anybody else's fingerprints on you, including yours. He wants his. He wants you to be. He wants Olivia as Olivia. He doesn't want Olivia as Rachel. You know what I mean? He wants Olivia as Olivia. I could go through everybody. But what he wants is a church that is full of body parts that says, I might be a thumb and nobody care about me, but I am vital to what God is doing in the body. I might be a liver that nobody sees. I might just just scrub the toilets every Sunday. Nobody sees it. Nobody ever thanks me except me. I try to thank you all a lot. But... Nobody ever sees me, nobody ever thanks me, nobody's watching me online, none of that stuff. And yet it is a crucial, vital part of the body. You might be working a typical job that seems mundane, that you hate, that your job is annoying, that your boss is annoying, that your coworkers are annoying, that you're thinking, man, I'm not living up to what that person did growing up and that person did growing up. So I must be, you're exactly where you need to be. And I'm going to say this in the spirit get your hands off of yourself. Stop taking control of your life. It is ruining your life. Let go and let the Lord do what he wants to do in you. And I'm speaking as somebody who is trying to convince myself of the same thing right now. And so um, I'm gonna pray. And as I pray, I I just, I want us to take a minute. I know this wasn't like a big pump up message um, but uh, this is vital. This is vital. Um, I, I want us to pray, and as we pray, I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Um, I just pray that the Lord would solidify our own identity within us, that we would be proud of who we are. Some of y'all need to start walking around like with your chest out, like you are the stuff, because you are. I'm not saying be prideful. And I'm going to get so many emails about that. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying be prideful, but I am saying be proud of who you are. I mean, what does it even mean to be prideful? Uh, I think it's Mike Bickle. I believe it's Mike Bickle. I'm, I might misquote this, but Mike Bickle at IHOP, Kansas City, I think he says this. Um, pride is you believing you are anything other than what he said you are. So, so false humility is actually pride. Right? So I'm not walking into a room as the stuff, but I am walking into the room As Josh fearfully and wonderfully made the son. What what would you think? uh, um, Who's the queen? The Queen Elizabeth, which I don't think she's a queen because she doesn't do anything. But, you know what I mean? Like, what does she even do? But anyway, they have a president, right? Don't they have a president? What does she do? Um, Must be, see that? Now, if we're comparing, that's the job I want. Sit around, eat crumpets, make a statement every now and then, and we're good. But, uh, but let's say you're a queen. Or a king, okay, and your son walks in the room, okay. So say you're a son or a daughter of a legit. Let's say you're you're the the daughter or son of Queen Elizabeth, okay. When you walk into a room, you're not walking into the room is like little old me. I'll find a find a man or a woman someday or whatever. You, you're not. You know what I mean? You know you know how you're walking into a room. You're walking into a room like this. Like, I am who I am. You know what I mean, y'all. Better not. Y'all better take notice. But like, y'all already noticed. I am who I am. Je- Jesus, when he walked into a room, I guarantee you, Jesus didn't walk into a room like this. No, when Jesus walked into a room, he said, "All right, here I am. That sickness can't be here. That depression can't be here because I'm here now. That can't be here. All right, let's go. You know, you know what I mean." But he, he walked, in fact, the Bible, when he teaches, if you go back and read this, he taught with such authority. They were in awe, not even by what he said, because he was really re-quoting things that had already been taught by other rabbis in the Old Testament. They were in awe by the authority that he spoke it with. They were in awe that as he was speaking this, he was the word that he was speaking The word made flesh and dwelt among us. So he was quoting scripture as scripture. Crazy, right? He spoke with such authority that it made everybody around him look at him and say, who is this man that believes every single word he says to his core? That is what I'm talking about. We should be so convinced of who we are that when people look at us, they see an authority and a confidence that can only come by you being secure. And so I'm gonna pray. I said I was gonna pray and that was 10 minutes ago. I'm gonna pray for real. And then uh, we're gonna go. I just, I, I cannot wait to see what the Lord does this year. You can just feel something new. And so Lord, I pray right now That you would just solidify in us our identity. That you you don't need us to be somebody else. You don't need us to be the perfect, flawless pot. You need us to be the cracked pot that is watering flowers, bringing forth what the perfect pot could not possibly bring forth if he tried. You need it. The beauty of your bride, the beauty of your church is dependent on each part being the part it was designed to be and not comparing itself to other parts and trying to live up to other parts. So, Lord, I pray in this age of social media that we would be a light that shines forth, that doesn't say I've got to put my best face forward Usually meaning I've got to put the face that looks like everybody else's face forward. I'm going to put myself forward and trust I am who he says I am. I am the image of the Father and if you have seen me, you've seen him. So Lord, I love you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for our size. I thank you for our influence. I thank you for every single person that you have brought in here and rooted in here because we are going places. When my spiritual father said this a couple of years ago in a message, he said, I'm not going anywhere, but I could go anywhere. In being rooted where you are, where we can go in the kingdom is limitless. And so Lord, we set ourselves right now to go into uncharted territory in this year. No amount of a virus, no amount of whatever else is going on in the world will hinder your bride from being who your bride was called to be. And so we thank you for that. It's in your name, amen.